Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Last year, I was on a mid-German crystalline high, and this high was pretty awesome. Did she just say she was high? Now, it may sound like I was doing something illegal, but no, I was just standing on a geologic formation known as the mid-German crystalline high. Mid-German crystalline high. In fact, in a way, we can thank this crystalline high for the Mosul wines, because thanks to a collision with this continental plate fragment, we have the unique slate soils of the Mosul River Valley. The Mosul and its tributaries wind to and fro throughout the slate outcropping, but the Mosul wasn't always full of bends, and the ground wasn't always made of slate. Four hundred million years ago, the Mosul area was a shallow sea with a thick bed of sedimentary mud and clay. The earth was warm, and there weren't many glaciers around. This made the sea level higher, and much of today's land was submersed. But when tectonic plate activity increased, and the land masses collided, they pushed into each other and created pressure and heat that caused the seafloor sediments to chemically morph into slate. Pressure between plates also caused buckling on the earth's surface and created several mountains and hilly regions. The Mosul Slate rose up, and eventually, a long, flat, wide Mosul River passed through it. Over time, the river formed sharp bends and turns. Lots of sea creatures once lived in what is now the modern-day Mosul, and they've left behind countless fossils in the region. You can find a particular type of slate in many regions of the Mosul called Devonian or Devon Slate. The Devonian Slate is extremely rich in fossils. It's one of the few areas in the world where you can find pyrite fossils. You'll see what looks like gold starfish embedded in the slate. And because of the special and swift way that the fossils were formed, these are some of the few fossils where we can see the soft tissue of creatures that lived hundreds of millions of years ago. Many of the fossils that make up the extraordinary collections from the Mosul area were discovered by miners. The Romans used slate from here, and we see the first evidence of commercial mining in the 1300s. 
By the 18th century, a slate boom was in play, and people throughout Europe wanted slate roof tiles, slate floor tiles, slate wall decorations, slate headstones, and slate chalkboards. The slate business did well until about 30 years ago, when globalization saw the sourcing of slate move to other countries. Mosul slate is prized by vintners today, and each different type of slate imparts different characteristics in the wine. Devonian slate, in particular, contains no lime, so you get a different characteristic in the wine, which a lot of people describe as dense and stony. Devonian slate is also 400 million years old. It's really old. So it breaks down easily and infuses any surrounding soil with minerals. This mineral-rich environment changes the way the vines feed, and you get a special wine from this type of slate. Recently in the Mosul, Saar, and Ruhr, you'll see producers labeling their different slate types, or in German, Schiefer, by color or category. Roterschiefer is red slate. Grauenschiefer refers to a gray slate origin. And more and more, you're seeing the word Devon or Devonian Schiefer referring to this special Devon slate. One producer who has a terroir gold mine is Hanno Zilliken, who makes wines from the Saarburger Rausch, a Devonian slate outcropping that has a unique volcanic diabase vein that runs through it. This makes the grapes incredibly distinctive before he and his daughter even begin the winemaking process. Trying one of his aged Saarburger Rausch wines from Devonian slate just might give you, hmm, a different kind of crystalline high. It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T partners with an s.com offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand and it's hano zillikan is your name yeah that's my nickname uh, my name in the passport is uh, Hans Joachim. And where did you grow up? Uh, in Saarburg. That's a pretty old town uh, in the absolute western part of Germany, near the border of Luxembourg, you can see. Not far away. What was your childhood like? Yeah, I'm uh, going to school in Saarburg, born in Saarburg. And uh, yeah, in these days, in my, uh, when I was a schoolboy, 
we still um, are living in a rented uh, house because our regional building is uh, destroyed and the new one is not uh, rebuilt. It was destroyed in a war. Yeah, the Second World War. It was, uh, Saarburg was uh, a part of the defense line of the West Wall and Christmas 44, many bombs uh, destroy uh, houses in, and the bridge in Saarburg and the uh, pity was that our uh, old estate building Directly is uh, placed beside the bridge, say Detroit, and uh, so we lost it. What was the condition of your family at that time? Yeah, in uh, it, it was a special tough time in uh, uh, these days because um, it's often an up and down in the winery, and um, maybe I I can start with my personal. Uh, feeling and uh, then we will come uh, to the story of the winery so in school i've told you that i like to be always in nature and on the end uh, i decide to be a grower and winemaker but uh, in our estate there we have a special situation we are part of a special rule called Höferrolle. Um, It's a German word. And um, there, only the oldest kid can or should take over. And uh, I'm the second kid. And uh, it, so it was planned that my oldest brother, Stephen, um, will take over. He was going to inherit the estate. Yeah, yeah that's, that's later. Huh? And um, so I think, good, uh, I will be a winemaker somewhere. Uh, while uh, Stephen will uh, run the, the winery. You knew you wanted to work with wine. Yeah. And then it's also um, a rare thing that two brothers are studying on the same time in Geisenheim. Uh, the same semesters, the same time, and we finished on the same time. What was your brother like? He's looking like me. Or what we <laughs> <laughs> But he was a uh, smart yeah. school, and uh, yeah. studies, or? Um, yeah, he has uh, maybe a uh, more open uh, character. He is, um, I'm, I'm more closed or, or quiet, I would say. And, um, but St Stephen was a very open-minded uh, person. Uh, and after the studying in Geisenheim, uh, he learned um, or he met his uh, later wife, Anne, And uh, Anna um, is coming from a winery in Nittel. It's on the border of, of Luxembourg, uh, around 15 kilometers uh, from Saarburg. And she fell in love, in love with my brother. And they are looking for a man in their company. <laughs> uh, so um, my brother decided to switch over in the other winery. He went to his wife's winery. Yeah. And... Um, at the same time, he is asking me if I will take over the father's winery. Oh, I see. So that opened up the family yeah, winery yeah, for you. That's for me. It is uh, now a no, new chance. And uh, so I decide to go uh, this way. What was the condition of that winery at the time? Yeah, uh, my um, father has, um, my mother died in 70 and we finished the Geisenheim uh, studying in uh, 72. So he was uh, a man without a wife. And in this time, my, my sister, Ela, or Gabriele, uh, she is um, 15 years old. And 
she she uh, up and going to school and um, she's cooking for us for washing for us and uh, uh, yeah she's a great character and later she has a chance to uh, go to school again then uh, she is uh, today chemical assistant yeah we are very happy that uh, that uh, is going on in this uh, way but uh, uh, yeah two years later in um, i think it was uh, 72 my father married a second time and yeah but he um, uh, his second wife uh, died um, after 22 years, so uh, it is a uh, other dimension. Um, and she died in 99, and now he is uh, 16 years again alone. You know? And uh, he, is, dad's still he, alive. he is uh, still alive, uh, just turning 95. And he made wine. And he uh, is uh, the one he married my mother after the war, but... Um, before I will tell this story, I must uh, go back to the uh, winery Forstmeister Geltz. It's a winery now more than 270 years in the family. Myself, I am the 10th generation. And Forstmeister Geltz was one of these uh, family members 100 years ago. He was in this time Royal Prussian Forstmaster. And uh, besides this profession, he is running the winery. And he was a founding member of the VDP. And for a sign of tradition, we still carry the name. And so he has had um, two daughters. And my grandmother was Ella Gels. And my aunt, a great aunt, was uh, Henriette Gels. And the story is that uh, he divides the, the winery not in uh, exactly 50-50. The, um, my great-aunt Antoinette, uh, she married a military major. And in this time, it, it, it was a royal time, it was um, yeah, um, normal that uh, when such a, a major will marry, he has to marry a wife with a special amount of uh, yeah money or land or and such thing, and so it was a little bit more than half she get, so she was um, a perfect marriage for for this uh, major. <laughs> so uh, my uh, great mother Ella owns maybe forty percent uh, of the winery, but uh, my grandmother married. Forstmeister in the eastern of Germany and uh, switch over. And so my aunt Antoinette um, runs the complete winery. And um, then in the time or after the time there in eastern Germany, uh, my uh, grandfather ha Forstmeister Haring died, my, my grandmother Ella died. And uh, so my mother together with her sister, are uh, while the war alone. And um, my mother remember her parts of the winery in Saarburg and come back from Eastern Germany because, uh, in the war. And she um, thinks, so oh, that's uh, my future. And she um, take over her parts of the winery. 
in, in a very tough time. I remember their uh, story just behind the wall. They have no money, they have no material uh, to cultivate the, the damaged vineyards. And they, they are collecting electricity wires, of things from the, from the west wall to have material to bind the wines. And um, that's a story uh, I remember uh, often and say um, when uh, we have sometimes uh, a tough situation was um, in this days a much tougher one. So the lucky thing is in 48 he uh, is marrying. And uh, after this time they both uh, built up the winery again. Step by step uh, they have had uh, four kids, my oldest brother, Stephen, me, uh, my sister, uh, Gabriele, and uh, Rainer, the youngest. Uh, and the pity is Rainer died when two trains are pushing together in, in the uh, neighborhood of Saarburg. And it was uh, 75. So it was a very tough time also for my father. He has lost... In uh, 70, his first wife, my mother, and uh, in 75, his youngest son. And um, so, yeah, he was a good character. Yeah, then I decide to go, to go on in the winery. In 76. In, yeah, 76, I'm uh, ready with my time by the military. I was a parachutist. And uh, you yeah. jumped out of planes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and after this time, I was uh, in Zabok. And uh, my father is uh, a very generous man. He uh, say, so you have uh, learned making wine. You have studied in Geisenheim. Um, and it is only possible that one person is responsible for making wine. And um, we can discuss together, we can taste together, but I decide you should be the responsible person. Oh, uh, it's a great challenge. And especially when we will have the, the 76 vintage, uh, directly a great one. And so 76 was uh, my, very, uh, my first vintage for Cellarmaster together with my father, sure. But uh, I was directly involved and I was very, yeah, I like to do something special. And we select uh, BA and TBA in this uh, vintage. And it's uh, the first since uh, a long time. 59 was the last one. There had been no BA before. Yeah, there was a 71 BA, yeah. but uh, not a TBA. And so, uh, so you made a conscious effort to pick later than had been yeah, happening and, for and a while. I, I have a goal to, to make something special. You wanted something great. Yeah. And, uh, I, I was hot. Uh, I will, will, will do something special. And yeah, this uh, vintage 1976 offers this chance and, uh, I got it. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, different, uh, vintages. And up and down is following. Especially in the 80s, we have an extremely up and down. We have had the vintage 80 
yeah, that's uh, the poorest vintage uh, after the war. The smallest yields uh, with uh, only two barrels, that means 2,000 liter per hectare. And without one exception, is only basic wine, Cubier. And uh, this one exception is a very special one. It is uh, an ice wine cabinet. Unusual today, but in these days, it was allowed to combine a predicate with the ice wine. And it is made by half-frozen grapes. Uh, maybe the, the starting must wait was it was the best vineyard spot in the Rausch. We are harvesting maybe by before frost. It was uh, 70, 71 grad Oechsle, so pretty small. And this um, little frost rise up the must wait in uh, maybe quite uh, 90. And so that's uh, something special. It's uh, an extract of this poor vintage. And uh, we um, can make a whole barrel, a thousand liters. And because I have to do something special, Dorothy, my daughter, my oldest daughter, is born in 80. And I always say nature is needing all its power to bring Dorothy uh, and there was no power left for, for the vineyard and the vintage. And we still have a pleasure in op opening uh, bottles of this uh, 80 ice wine. It uh, shows today uh, the yeah, green components. The assets are not so ripe and the herbal notes. But the wine is uh, showing absolute freshness today. So... It can last uh, with its uh, high extract uh, easily, uh, yeah, fifty years more. I think it it will not never be weak. Huh? The residual sugar it uh, was uh, around uh, fifty. It is completely dried out. The wine is uh, tasting absolutely dry by an acidity of around eleven half. So it's a. Uh, I, I always say it is a curiosity. It is a, a studying object, uh, but uh, never it is a great wine. But it was a specialty of the poor vintage 80. It was a wine that you made to commemorate your daughter's birth, but that her child may drink. It's lived that long. Yeah. Yeah, then uh, the great, uh, yeah, the unusual rich 82 happens. And we... Yeah, you can say we bring in a double harvest and it, it makes problems. We haven't had uh, enough barrels and we have to sell uh, juice. Uh, otherwise, we cannot harvest everything. The opposite problem of it. Yeah, and this. Uh, and by um, yeah, uh, medium quality of the vintage. And um, even in this uh, vintage, I um, have had the luck to get a specialty a very late harvest ice wine, 31 December. And of this uh, vintage, and I, uh, I'm sure there are not much concentrated examples of this uh, poor vintage or tricky vintage, uh, 82. Yeah, next vintage again, the 83. For us, it was a great gift. For me, it was the start uh, it opens me many chances. Uh, I have uh, building plans and so on. And it was um, with this vintage, uh, I was especially successful here in the United States. And from this time, 
I um, have the contact with Rudy Wiest of Sellers International. Uh, we still have this contact and it is my agent here in the country. And yeah, he has accompanied my whole uh, seller uh, master or my my life there for seller master. So the whole time you've been making wine, he's represented the wines in the States. Yeah. And the and States is a big market for you. For us, it is a very important market. Uh, there are many years where it is, uh, from the volume, the absolute uh, biggest one. And then continuing on from 83, what were the vintages that you found? Uh, I remember then, for example, it's also to um, explain this extremely up and down. In 83, this uh, generous vintage, we have um, many, many... Ausleses, only a few cabinet and no basic wine. And in 84, the next vintage, we haven't had any predicate wines, not a cabinet. It's all basic wine. So it's such an up and down is, can happen. So it's almost that one vintage seems to lead into another by giving you the opposite. Yeah, and um, it uh, shows that nature is um, not constant. And especially... That area is um, a growing area in with extremes. We are one side. We are more south in the middle Mosul, but higher in altitude, and uh, the valleys are not so deep cutted than the Mosul valleys. And uh, wind and weather can reach our vineyards um, easier. The valleys are more open, and so we have a more rough climate. And uh, that means maybe um, half a degree C uh, less temperature. And in poor years, it is a, a tough thing to have this condition. For example, in the 80s, uh, we have had uh, the 80, uh, the um, 84, the 87 poor vintages. And uh, where we have uh, still green herbal notes in, in the wine. But uh, it opens on the other side in uh, good and rich um, vintages a chance to have still lively structure in the wines. Uh, when you think about vintages like uh, 59 or 76, uh, very hot and ripe vintages, uh, the Saar offers always this uh, brilliant, uh, lively play between fruit acidity. And uh, before we have um, too much sun. I think uh, other growing regions have more problems. But it must have been an interesting time to learn with so many different kinds of vintages as you're getting started. Yeah, it's an extreme up and down. And soon happened, or in this time, I was just married in 79. We have had an extreme harvest the winter between 78 and 79 was um, bringing an outstanding temperature change. Oh. From 10 degree uh, C plus, it turns in one night to 20 degree C minus, 30 uh, Celsius. And so the wet wines are burst by the frost and uh, there uh, are a lot of old wines uh, broken. And... Um, so the harvest in 79 was small again. 
how are you developing as a winemaker? What did you see in your own technique? Did it change year to year to meet the conditions? Or Yeah, the goal was always been the same. But um, the techniques, the possibilities, and the knowledge and the experience about, they uh, will help to find um, yeah, uh, more precision again. What has changed uh, to my father is uh, that uh, we are doing another job in the vineyard. You have to know after the war, um, the first goal was to bring in some fruit and are not looking for top wines. They um, have more butts on, on each wine and they use fertilizer to reach this goal. So with the time, especially in the 70s, there it's starting. We are looking for more and more um, yeah, finesse and uh, concentration in the wine. And I reduce the, the branches, especially after uh, 82 vintages. Um, there we have had only two canes. And later today, we only have one cane and uh, some eyes, some buds. So you, you reduce the yields from your yields father's generation. Extremely, and we are not using any fertilizer more. Uh, we are only, when fertilizer, it is, uh, uh, we do um, use uh, humus and mulch, organic material. So uh, there is a more constant ripening possible. That's uh, the first thing we change. And then we are selecting uh, harder and harder knowing that only by this system we can reap a very special wine. And what were the vineyard parcels that you began with, and what are they today? The size uh, we are cultivating has been um, in the time where I take over nearly the same. I, I start with around 10 hectares. Today we are cultivating 11 hectares. Uh, but today we are owning of the father most of these uh, parcels. In the time before, Several passes are rented. And you're mostly in the Saarburger Rausch. Yeah. And tell and me a little bit about that vineyard. That's our domain with uh, around 10 hectares of the total size of 20 hectares today. There we will find a very fine synth-plated slate, a Devonian slate, soft, you can break with your hand, and other quite other mineral, uh, eruption mineral uh, called diabas, it is uh, pushing uh, in a liquid form through the sediments of the Devon slate and get hard on the surface. It was not uh, an active volcano. Then we have had uh, lava and basalt. Uh, so here it was um, getting hard on the surface and stops. And the color is green and blue, and it is hard and heavy like basalt. But together with the weathered slate, is responsible for this precise minerality we, you will find in all our wines. There's a mineral tone, but then also a sort of a, a richness of fruit at the same time. Yeah, uh, but the richness of the fruit can see very precise in um, climbing must weights. When we reach um, a must weight of uh, 90 and more, we have... Um, more and more intense tropical notes in our wines, like mango, pineapple, lychee, and so on. Um, you can see in the Spätlises we are offering today. And 
that's a stadium where we have uh, reached fully ripeness, golden berries, uh, just before they get a thin skin and uh, ch uh, start shriveling. And uh, when, when we like to select, uh, again, high, higher concentrations, we have to select this uh, shriveled material. One side it is uh, air-dried, one side it is botrytis. And you also own a parcel in a different vineyard. Yeah, that's uh, the other great vineyard we um, are cultivating. Uh, it is Ochfner Bockstein, but there we are owning only one hectare. And uh, the Bockstein wines are different. Primarily, the, the minerals are different. When you compare the slate to the Saarburger vineyard, here in Ochfen, we, we, uh, we can find a more gravelly, uh, harder slate and quassit uh, in and a yellow loam for fine earth. And uh, with this terroir, uh, the wines are, um, in comparing to the Rausch, more open, easier to, to come in. And they, so uh, with the Bockstein wines, we can uh, demonstrate maybe how the, the Rausch wines uh, will go for. But they're both vineyards in the Tsar. Yeah, so uh, three kilometers distance between. And how would you sum up the Tsar as a viticultural zone in comparison to the greater Mosul? I have told you about um, the uh, higher altitude and the special climate. Uh, there are the results when, when people ask me what, what's the difference between uh, Mosul and Tsar, um, I, I um, try to explain it in a simple words. It is um, the different in the combination of all what there is in. A Mosul wine is built around its fruit. It is open. You can smell the young wine in a distance of maybe half a meter. And um, these wines are accompanied by a fine acidity. A sour wine is built around its minerality and acidity and uh, citrus aromas, these freshness components, I will always call them. And it is accompanied by fine fruit. So the weight is here on the sour and parts of the rover, more on the refreshing side. And what about the handling in the cellar? What happens when the grapes arrive at the winery? In the cellar, in general, nothing has changed. We use still the German oak, a thousand liter barrels in a neutral style. It's from German forests, the oak. Yeah. And so today, when we buy a new barrel, we have to neutralize it first. Uh, therefore, we, we use... Um, a lot of time we use watering, we steam them, and we put in uh, the um, cleaning water, the yeast water from the wrecking. And with this, uh, we get the first contact with the wood, and by this, we pull out the, the mainly tannin. And when we uh, use these barrels after the, the second year for making wine, we use them only a short time. So we are very careful and we, because we are not um, liking a barrique style in our wines. So before pressing, it's important to know we are pressing the material we are harvesting uh, over the day directly. We don't use any maceration. No skin contact. So short as possible. And uh, because the goal is the leaniness, the 
weightless uh, structure in these wines. And when you think about the maceration, you get more white, um, you get more horizontal aromas, uh, yeah, some intensity, but we like the lean structure. And so we follow this line that we pressing directly, then we let sediment the juice overnight uh, in the pressing room. And therefore, we use a stainless steel tank, but only one night. Then we let down by gravity the juice in the barrels to ferment. And you must know our cellar is uh, something very special. We have a three-story deep cellar, and the lowest cellar offers constant temperature. It is made by extremely humidity. We have uh, creeks there, and we have stalactites on the roof, it is dropping constantly, everything is wet. And it, um, you can see uh, this extreme humidity when we fill up a barrel, it keeps full, we never have to top it. There's no, no evaporation. evaporation, no evaporation. And when you know that constantly or always wet wood is more hematic than dry one, we can use these barrels in a very individual style but in a um, reductive style, not oxidized. So even though it's winemaking with wood, it's reductive. It can be reductive when we have such uh, situations. When you have a warm and dry cellar, you risk that the wines will oxidize uh, earlier. And that's not what you want because you're going for a no. long aging style. The way we are working is that um, the time of contact with the wood is around five to six months. That's the basic ripeness these wines are needing. And then we are bottling and we are bottling the complete vintage in one row. So early bottling in a way. In um, March, April. And also a special thing basing on this uh, bottling in one row is that we can bring all the bottles to the control to getting the AP number at the same time. And we decide that... Uh, uh, highest concentration in the sweet or the noble sweet world uh, will wear number one. That's the first, so one of the bottling year. And the next concentration is number two and so on. And that is helpful for the collectors when they uh, will see two auslesers of the same vintage with different numbers. And then they know the smaller number is nearer to the peak of the vintage. And when they see our, uh, here is a wine, maybe Auslaser with AP number five, they know R, there are four steps higher. There exist more, uh, four steps higher. Wines that do a lot of their evolution in the bottle. Yep. And how long do you hold the bottles before you sell them? Uh, the current, uh, the basic wine, uh, we um, offer just after bottling. Uh, for example, our butterfly or the dry uh, versions, the basic wine. And the next level, the predicate wines, we are selling after the Mainzer Weinbörse. It is in end of uh, April, so early May, these wines are available. And later, we offer the auction wines, or today also the Große Gewächs. And everything is Riesling. We have 100% Riesling, 100% steep south-facing hillsides, and 
each wine, even the basic wine, is fermented in German oak. And we don't buy any crepes and juice, and so we are working very individual. And you said that one of the wines from 1980, you saw aging another 50 years. What's typical for the aging of your wines across the board? I mean, what do you find that you usually start to open them and how long do they last in the cellar? Yeah, the normal way of life is um, that they offer their primary aromas in the beginning. And uh, these um, primary aromas are less and less intense with each year. With four or five years, they go to sleep. And um, then in our, uh, by our wines, you need a minimum time of 10 years that they will develop. And then they have uh, many years in front before uh, we reach um, a border where there is no, nothing between the acidity and the uh, matureness left. So long there is something uh, with extract or fruit between, we have life, uh, lively play. But um, in a really overripe or matured Riesling, there are only these two components left. That is uh, the acidity standing there itself uh, and uh, the firne, the, the oldness, uh, the matureness. But therefore, you have to wait many decades. Kind of feels like it's nice to drink at the border, too, all those things going on. Yeah, it is. So each uh, period of developing has a special, special interesting. And I like very much the matured fruity wines I can combine with um, slightly spicy dishes. When you think about matches... It is um, a great experience to have, for example, um, dark meat, a wild boar, for example, with a really matured uh, um, Auslese of 59, for example. It is a perfect match. So you change the food to the style of the wine and its age. Yeah, it is um, so that the wines have a different stadium and you have to... Uh, know this and um, with this knowledge to have to use them. So um, I always say you have to be fair to the wine. It is unfair to uh, open a bottle in the wrong uh, age uh, for the wrong situation. Do you find that your wines develop a petrol character? Very few only. And when it happened, it is only an addition to the complex uh, structure, never dominating and uh, otherwise we will lose this harmony and the balance. And while ripening, we, yeah, we think about uh, this minimum age of uh, 10 years, we have a more and more intense flavor too. The, the bouquet is more and more intense. It turns in uh, often smokiness, uh, but just um, the minerality is coming out again more precise. Because in a young wine, often the primary aromas will cover the um, uh, minerality. But when it is in the background, the minerality is more precise. As you said, it's a form of reductive winemaking. Do you find it sometimes helpful to decant the wines? Absolutely. Still, when we open uh, today uh, in 83, 
bottle, Auslese. It is so that uh, the first impression is, oh, this smokiness, this matureness, but it is, uh, it will disappear with more and more air contact. And then the fruit uh, is coming out today. The, the fruit of the uh, 83, for example, it reminds on butter caramel taste beside uh, the apricot and peach. But uh, that's, for example, a vintage without any sign of uh, petrol notes, the 83. While, for example, the 93 offers very fine petrol aromas. And what about some of those other vintages of the 80s as they progressed along? What was your experience of 85 and 86? 85 was a good vintage. Between the 83 and the 89, it is something between. Uh, one also, of the better vintages, yeah, 83, 85, are, 89 yeah, are the... Uh, one of the better ones. And uh, we have had uh, luck also to uh, harvest ice wine this year. In the 80s, it was uh, nearly possible each second year. While today, it is, uh, uh, we will not have the same chance by this global warming. You've had a climate change and it's harder to make yeah, ice wine. Yeah. And uh, so 89 was, again, a very special wine. And uh, there I remember the Ausley, uh, the long gold cap. Uh, in these days, we have had ice wine. It's a typical ice wine vintage. Uh, we have um, had a smaller ice wine and we have a botrytis selection. Um, and then uh, we decide to blend it because 89 offers a very gentle acidity. And the ice wine, yeah, uh, it lacks maybe a little bit on fruit. And so we decide to blend it. And so it was our auction, Ausle, when it is... Uh, when you declassify both components in an Auslese level, then it is allowed to blend Auslese with Auslese. And I lose the right to name it BA or, or ice wine. And uh, this we have made and, yeah. But it was designed for an auction release. Yeah. And how does that work in terms of your wines? Is that a popular outlet for your wines? Absolute. For us, the auction is very important to reach friends of specialities all over the world. Uh, these wines cannot fix in a regular offer because we, we have no idea where we should fix the price. When it is too low, it is uh, directly sold out. And when it is too high, we uh, cannot buy it. And so the auction was uh, the perfect podium base to... Um, sell such wines. Something that was a bit unique and you weren't yeah. sure what the yeah. market would yeah. be for such yeah. a unique yeah. wine. And it's also for me, uh, with uh, the success uh, in auction wines, with these auction wines, it is um, again a motivation to produce something special, to look for something special. And that's also a special chance with our many different barrels. And so we have to uh, do two main decisions. While harvesting, which grapes are coming in one selection. And after keeping all the results separate and mature them, uh, on the end, in the spring, we have to decide how to bottle this material. Is it a perfect single barrel? We bottle it like this. Or is it a perfect partner with this barrel and this barrel? For, for us, it is very simple. We have 100% Riesling, 90% is Rausch, and uh, so it's and uh, it is always only this one vintage in the in the barrel cellar. 
So Zillikin, or Forstmeister Geltz, as it was called at the time, yeah. was a founding member of the VDP. Yeah. What was the perception of Zillikin in the market from the 70s, 80s, 90s today? Yeah, it is. Um, I think um, my father has done a very important and good job in his time, but he has had a um, quite difficult start after the war with this damaged uh, vineyards, um, not in good shape. Um, the cellar uh, and uh, estate building destroyed. Yeah, he has done or a very good job in buying the cellar we are owning today. After the war, the, the first years, we are renting different cellars with our few barrels. Then he gets a chance to buy by auction a cellar building not ready yet. It is built in the 20s of the last century by one company, but they can't finish the building, and so it was a ruin for several decades. It was a ruin. Yeah, and in the Second World War, they use it for bump shelter too, but never for making wine. And he um, gets the cellar, and uh, with this we have had a start again, and uh, step by step we build up the winery again. And it's a very important time for the winery that it, the chain is not broken. And uh, I must uh, thank you, especially to my f my mother and my father, that uh, they keep uh, keep it and uh, give me the chance to. Um, go on with much better conditions. And today I think I can offer Dorsey, my daughter, uh, she will take over next year. Again, quite other chances with a winery. I think any other growers uh, will have. The original building that you used as a cellar was the victim of bombing and destroyed. Yeah. Your father had to find space in other wineries yeah. for the wine. Yeah, for the first years, he rented only cellars to have the place uh, to mature the wines in the vintage of uh, 48, 49. And in early 50s, he can buy the today cellar. So he purchases a previous bomb shelter, unfinished construction, and that's why it's a modern facility on top. Yeah, of your that's cellar. later. That's later. First, he built up a pressing room on this ruin. And so he has a pressing room and a cellar below. And later in uh, 69, he built on this cellar the today's living house. And I, or myself, I do several steps in building. I um, built uh, the uh, new pressing room. The last latest um, step we have done was the finishing the tasting room. And with this now, we have a complete winery again. And to have a, a harmonious uh, uh, impression, I covered the building my father has built in 69 uh, with a bigger isolation, a new windows, a new roof. And from outside today, everything is looking new and made uh, in the same time. So, in a way, the restoration of winemaking facilities at the same time that you're purchasing the plots that you had been renting. Restoration of the estate yeah, on both, yeah, yeah. both the vineyards. Yeah, the, the vineyards are nearly the same. We own today more of these uh, holdings. And so, we have a good chance to, to compare 
the results my father has matured with uh, my my own wines. And that's also um, nice for the wine lovers and collectors that uh, we never change the style. We do a more and more precise job, but uh, the style we don't change. How would you describe that style? I'll um, start with a goal we have. Uh, the goal is to produce one side finesse and on the other side the lightest impression such a finesse can offer. Uh, that means um, when we have um, Auslese uh, with a yeah, gentle acidity, it will offer easier opulency. And we are happy to reach a selection where we have more acid in and to have the chance to build uh, a wine with uh, a more lively structure. And so I always explain we like to offer wines with intensity and length, but uh, you will never find heaviness in our wines. Throughout the career of Zillikin, it's worked in the product system, cabinet, Spätlese, yeah. Auslese, not going with the idea more of the QBA, you know, Heyman Loinstein kind of idea, but staying with the kind of classic product. Yeah. It is so that uh, we still have a percentage of around 50% fruity, noble sweet wines in the winery. But in the last years, we have had more and more success also in offering dry wishes. Um, GG stuff. GGs, for example. Um, we start uh, with this um, VDP classification system in uh, 09. You have to know the VDP is creating this system um, maybe uh, 12 or more years ago. But uh, the members of the VDP, they have time to go in the system because each winery has other situations, other problems with this. And uh, we decide to go uh, in the system 09. And directly we switch completely over in the sun. No anymore spätli uh, the dry or such things. Predicates are today completely fruity and noble sweet. And... The dry and medium dry wines, they are classified by another system. There you have to look for the description where the wine is coming from. The most simple description means that it's the simplest level, the basic wine, for example, the dry version called silicon dry. And the next step is the village level, the Saarburger Riesling dry. And we have a second step there. It is a Saarburger Riesling dry old wines. And uh, the peak is in the dry world, Rausch, GG. So no Spätlese truck and no Auslese truck and into not, the not anymore. Or anything uh, we have had in the past, and this was uh, interesting to compare uh, these uh, matured examples. Uh, there you can find, for example, eighty-three Spätlese dry, unbelievable fresh today, and that uh, make me sure that we. Uh, will have also great aging potential in this uh, precise GGs. What's it like to try to make dry wines in the czar? What's that like? Yeah, it is so that my personal love is uh, to combine wine with food. And uh, for some mild dishes, yeah, I need something uh, with uh, only few 
sweetness. Otherwise, the sweetness will be too dominant. And uh, for this, why we are looking for uh, making medium dry or dry versions. So knowing now that uh, these dry examples can age also very good, uh, we are storing also special sizes of the GGs for maybe a later release. What is the aging curve of something like a Rouse GG? I mean, when do I approach that wine? Good. Here again, the very beginning, the charm of the young wine is attractive. The wine is more quiet later. And um, here we are looking for grapes fully ripe uh, with less acid and to find a harmony uh, in the wine uh, while we are looking in the fruity or noble sweet wines for concentration with high acidities. So maintaining the acidity in the sweet wines, but looking for more fruit in the dry wines. Yeah, absolutely. And that's maybe why you'd start with the GG in 2009. Yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, there we um, have the idea to use only the free ranges before pressing. And the fruit, the wine is offering a um, near silky impression very gentle and you don't imagine or think about a sour riesling do zillikin wines ever go through shutdown periods and either sweet or dry do they yeah, ever close it, for yeah it, w the typical closing time is between the young wine and the 10 years you have uh, to have a minimum but even in the matureness uh, later with 20 and more years you have um, things like waves. It is uh, sometimes a little up and down. Also, uh, when you store a bottle over so many years, each bottle will have its own life by its individual cork. And so it happens that you uh, open a bottle and say, oh, I remember this uh, in another way. Um, maybe I should uh, look um, soon after uh, a next chance to open a bottle of this uh, wine. And then after the next uh, chance, I say, oh, it should be maybe a single bottle or it, uh, I'm sure that in the moment this wine has uh, a welly or is in a welly. And so what about the vintages of the 90s and the 2000s? What did you experience on those vintages? There um, we have had with 97 vintage, a very special one for us, our favorites. And there uh, in far the most of the wines, we can find this tropical notes. And uh, normally it will, or often it will disappear. But in the 97s, it, uh, it keeps. Uh, and 97 was a vintage where we have nearly no valley like the vintage um, 75, it's a vintage always tasting good. Oh, it's always since release, it's always been good. Uh, yeah, and um, but we keep of the 97 um, sizes. I will uh, have fun later with the wine. <laughs> and what other notable vintages from the 90? What about 95? Seem pretty good for uh, you. Yeah, uh, 95 is um, a good vintage in this decade. Between the more minerally uh, 94 and uh, the lighter uh, 96. And there's also a special story. 
we have bottled um, the Auslese number one. Remember my uh, number system uh, we are using since '93. And uh, this number one, yeah, we like to offer by auction or for perhaps for a gold cap. And we, we are not sure. And uh, then the 96 is coming and 97. And we, yeah, we can say we forgot this uh, wine or we prefer other auction wines. And uh, so we keep it. And uh, much later, that means last year, we offer this for a late release first. So all the time we have still all the bottles in the cellar. This wine directly was sold out. And with this matureness, uh, the wine uh, offers with its 18, 19 years, it uh, finds exactly the balance we are looking for. This lively play between fruit acidity and the fruit um, is completely integrated. It is melted together. We call it homogene. And most of this wine is uh, gone to uh, Great Britain. Yeah. When did you start to see the effects of climate change in your region? Uh, I think uh, in the last decade, uh, starting with uh, 2003. It's also a vintage where uh, you can learn a lot, of, a lot about this vintage. So far... Uh, especially when you are looking in the dry wine world. The goal was the more concentrated, the higher the alcohol, the higher the concentration, the better the wine. Uh, the winemakers are proud to present a 15-16% uh, alcoholic um, white wine. And with this vintage, the mind is changing. They realize that it can be too much and uh, that uh, less can be more and you have to look for the harmony, for the balance in the wine. And you have to offer invitation with the wine. And um, when uh, you are after the first glass not liking to go on, uh, there is something wrong. You saw the end of what was possible. That, yeah. The and uh, it is um, a good experience for, for the cellar masters in general. And yeah, then... One good and great year, uh, one after the other, will follow. We never have had such a decade with uh, so much great years. Oh one, oh two, yeah, and um, uh, four, oh five, oh seven, oh nine. Uh, mostly, it is the unrare vintage, and um, good. Two thousand ten is a very special one between, but again, eleven was a fantastic vintage, and. So with uh, 2013, we have a break uh, that we have a, a lighter vintage again, and but a very special one. And uh, now in 2014, we can offer the whole range again. Which is something that was maybe more of a challenge in some of those years in the 2000s. Yeah, and uh, you have to see it. We um, growers on the SAR have to know that uh, we it is very dangerous to uh, live from one year to the other. There is no constant uh, line in. Uh, the up and down can happen. And the um, hole we have had uh, with uh, the um, uh, small yield in uh, vintage 2013, we can fill up with uh, matured examples um, 
from younger days, like uh, 11, but also 2009, and matured, really matured wines too. Were there vintages in the 2000s that you thought, this reminds me of a vintage from earlier in my career? Or did they all seem different than different in kind than what you um, know? There are parallels that you can say this is a, a vintage reminds me on this and this. When you have uh, nearly the same structure in, but uh, never you will find an exactly uh, same uh, impression. For example, the absolute new vintage now, the 2014, reminds me personally in our state on the 11. Because there we have nearly the same spectrum to offer now. And uh, so um, I know it is not the case everywhere. So offering Cabernet through BA? Uh, not BA, no, but um, fine auslises auction wines yeah and then also gg yeah also gg and your daughter dorothy decided to join you at the winery yeah that's right and uh, i have two daughters and dorothy is the oldest one and yeah she decided oh that's uh, the profession i like to go for and so uh, it was uh, since this time absolute clear she finished school uh, and go to Geisenheim and finish school. And it was always clear that she will be a winemaker. It must be satisfying for you to see the continuation of not just the family, but the winery and yeah, the family. Absolutely. And Dorothy is um, marrying her uh, husband, Philip. Uh, she, uh, she keeps the name Silicon. Today it's possible, I'll do it. And uh, Philip is very generous. Uh, he is uh, taking the name Silicon, something unusual. And with this, I have got a late son. And what do you tell your children about wine? It is um, important to give over the feeling about wine, the experience we have in combination, wine and food. And yeah, and it is uh, it is great to see that in this younger generation. There is no uh, dictate anymore. We have had in uh, the 80s, with uh, after the scandals in the 70s, we have had this dry wine dictate. And today it is more open, uh, open-minded. The young generation is testing itself, discussing, and say, they are able to say, though, that my personal love is this and uh, not uh, what is um, common. Uh, you have to say that also the um, wine in the dry style are changing. What we have sold in the in the 80s for dry wine, this time I, I remember I um, uh, think in the same wine, uh, in the same way, uh, how I like uh, to produce my fruity and noble sweet wines, I take um, material with high acidities and uh, vinify dry, oh, it, it is uh, sometimes a tough uh, result. And today, uh, I think quite different. Uh, the goal is before harvesting to, to find the right uh, material, to have uh, golden grapes with uh, absolute ripe acidity and before chiveling. As you get ready to retire, which you'll do soon, what are yeah, you it is so that the program or what we have uh, talking about in the family is uh, 
I always say with um, reaching 60 or turning 65, uh, I will retire. Uh, remembering my own uh, taking over in 81, uh, my father was uh, 61 years and uh, I give up. And so I have no problems to give up uh, with uh, 65, but um, I like to help Dorsey and Philip as good I can, and I hope we can mature many different vintages in future. You need uh, many years to give um, all the experience, all the knowledge uh, over to the next generation. It's not possible by only three vintages. What's the most important thing that you can tell them about making wine? The, you only can do this job when you like uh, what you are doing. And that's uh, very important and I'm looking for that um, the kids uh, are realizing the, the nice parts of this uh, job, the experiences, the great matches, the people they will uh, meet with uh, their wines and, and, and so on. And uh, not seeing only the sometimes uh, tough work. Looking back over your career, what are you most proud of? That I had the luck that in my generation uh, for owner and seller master, the family uh, is uh, belonging uh, together, uh, is uh, stable, and that we have um, a harmony in the, in the family. And uh, that's, you have to have this um, climate to um, be creative. Hanno Zilliken, he's building wines based on acidity and a winery based on family. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Hanno Zilliken of Forstmeister Gelst Zilliken. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.